1: Welcome to episode 113 of Strong Language and Violent Scenes, the podcast giving a second chance to films that might not deserve them. I'm Mitch Bain, I'm a lapsed horror writer and an occasional dude of musical things. And I'm Andy Stewart. And once again, joining us tonight is Nobody, because it is time for our monthly Andy vs Mitch episode.
0: I'm going to say... It kind of generally goes in three weekly cycles.
1: Yeah, I feel like we push our luck by, like, a week's increment every month.
0: <laughs> Just as long as that calendar month ticks over. Fire away. <laughs> um.
1: Yeah, if we make it over the line. Any time that we do an Andy versus Mitch in the first week of a month, it's like taking our fucking life in our hands here.
0: <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. All we need is one dropout, and then it's going to be that kind of 11th hour scramble to try and get someone. I'm like, well, fuck, we can't do another one.
1: Yep, exactly, exactly. So, like, <laughs> yeah, we've nailed our colours to the mast with the structure now, and... And it's like, in a way, it's taken some pressure off, but in a way, it's horribly oppressive. But we well. <laughs> shouldn't have
0: more than 12.
1: No, that's true. That's a good way of putting it. And last month, it was your call. And you went for Intruder, I would say very successfully.
0: Yep, thank you very much, Mitch. Thank you. So far, I'm batting a stronger average than you and these, I would say.
1: Well, I would say that probably is true. I decided to not lean into that at all and go for a relatively high-risk shout this time, I think um okay uh so i took us back to 2013 2012 2012 thank you uh for wreck genesis
0: yes 2012's wreck genesis 2012's film the film that you've picked from 2012 yes (laughs) (laughs) yep good to Um, see you've done your homework thank you
1: very much for that no um I love this film. Okay, yes. And the first time I saw it was under fairly cool circumstances, at Whoa. least at the time for me. I hadn't watched that much horror at that point, obviously. We all know that. We know mm-hmm. the timeline of me in horror. At that point. Um, <laughs> very droll. But I had seen Wreck 1 and 2. Okay. And the local indie cinema in Aberdeen, the Belmont Cinema, did a recathon where they showed Rec 1 and 2 and screened Rec 3, which was not out at the time, and it was very exciting to go check it out.
0: Cool. Mm-hmm.
1: I went in knowing nothing about what it was going to do in terms of how it subverted the format of what had come before it and all those kinds of things. I just flew blind, assuming that it would be a continuation of the same story.
0: Sure, that seems like a reasonable thing to assume.
1: Yeah, so um, I got the rug pulled out from under me in a way that really worked for me. Okay. But the person that I went with was horrendously put out by the fact that they had done what they did, structurally and Mm -hmm. visually with this. And it's one of those things, it's kind of like when I was talking about way back when I did There Are Monsters. Sure. Where you get to the end of a screening or something, and you love it so much that you just assume that everyone else in the room will have loved it as much as you have. But then you come out of it and you realise that a lot of the people, if potentially most of the people in the room, had way more problems with it than you.
0: Yeah, I know how that feels, and I've actually noticed since uh, we announced that you were choosing REC 3 Genesis as your film for this week and um, that we've actually had an interesting cross-section of people who hated it and people who passionately loved it. So I think it, it does have that uh, dividing spirit to it that uh, is quite interesting.
1: Yeah, I think that the feedback section on Monday's minisode is going to be interesting. I think that like um, people have come out of the woodwork very staunchly pro or con for this, and I think that that's always fun. I'm just going to say it. I think that going in... This is the most confident I've been about selection.
0: Oh, right, okay, okay. And, and uh, you're, you're confident in so much as you think I'm going to like it? In <laughs> as much as that I'm certain that I still like it, because that's caught me out enough times. <laughs> cool. Well, I can tell you my history with Wreck 3. Yes, when did you see it for the first time? Well, as I mentioned on the minisode, I saw this for the first time at Fright Fest in 2012. Cool. At the time, I was down there covering the festival for Scream magazine. I think I had heard rumblings that it maybe subverted the expected format. And I didn't expect it to do it in the way that it does it. And I had a nice sit-down chat with Paco Plaza and Leticia Dolera after it. Um Oh, lovely. Yeah, and it was uh, it was really cool to spend some time with them and have a chat with them about it. But yeah, I'll, I'll get to I'll get to my thoughts on Rec 3 Genesis in time, I'm sure, Mitch. But funny that I should mention time because you know what time it is.
1: Yes, I have um, given over Master of Time duties to your fine self.
0: Mm, well, that was kind of out of your control, to be honest, because someone's got to do it and it can't be you, because I can't guarantee that you, you, you'll you be faithful to the rules.
1: No, nope, in the interest of balancing, you have to be the Arbiter, you have to be the Master of Time.
0: And I do have, I, I do have 30 seconds in front of me here on my uh, massive glass and bronze hourglass that I use for this.
1: outstanding um so my question is do i need to ground people in the events of the first two films or do i need to just focus on this one because i think that the two they're they're not as tied together as people might think they might be but it is kind of important
0: i don't think so certainly not for the 30 second synopsis i would say okay i would err on the side of caution and uh, steer you away from that
1: okay cool ready yes
0: three two one go
1: Rec 3 Genesis happens concurrently with the events of Wreck 1 and 2. However, it is a safe distance away from that outbreak in that block of flats. We join the wedding of Clara and Koldo, which starts out very well, ultimately is disrupted by an infection and what is effectively a zombie outbreak. We see Clara and Koldo get separated and desperately try to reunite against zombie chaos. Hilarity ensues, and so does a lot of blood and, honestly, a lot of emotion.
0: Okay, done, with two seconds left. Yeah, that was quite comprehensive. Just want to clear one thing up straight off the bat here, Mitch. You're going with zombie, are you?
1: Well, I was going to talk to you about the parlance of this, because I wasn't sure. I don't feel like zombie is quite right, but I think that a lot of the traits... Of the kind of infected are what you'd associate with zombies
0: across the breadth of my notes mitch i have written demon
1: And I mean, the fact that a lot of the exposition and the mythology is delivered by a priest, I think that there's some credence to that.
0: Certainly Tristana, the kind of, I guess, the weird, nappy-wearing, skinny, Javier Botet woman who kind of features heavily in the first two towards the end, makes an appearance in Reflections in this film. Yes. And I Uh would certainly say there's a demonic aspect to Tristana. I think, I can't really remember, I should have revisited Wreck 1 and 2 for all the time it would have taken me in preparation for this, but I'm sure there's some demonology aspect at play there. So I think demons is the correct parlance, I would say.
1: Okay, I'm happy with that. I'm happy with that. I, I alternated between zombies, demons, and undead.
0: Wow, you've just kind of covered... And you, you said infected a minute ago, so you really have covered all your bases.
1: Yeah, you know, throwing enough shit at the wall. <laughs>
0: sure. But
1: at the risk of being a broken record, I think that we should just jump into this.
0: I'm happy to, happy to do that. And we
1: open on the DVD menu of uh, Clara and Koldo's wedding.
0: Yeah, just before that actually, like you actually open on the Filmax logo, the main production company. And now anytime I see that in front of any film, it just makes me think of Wreck. It makes me go, I want to watch Wreck.
1: That's fair. Because they haven't really topped it.
0: No, no. I mean, I, th- I think a lot of the, the stuff that Paco and Jomé have done since Wreck and Wreck 2 have come out via Film Max. I think uh, Sleep Tight came out through Film Max as well.
1: There is also a great film, in my mm. opinion. But yeah, Clara and Koldo's wedding DVD is how this film is broadly introduced to us. What I want to know is, how did this project get so far that it had a DVD menu?
0: <laughs> you mean who had picked up the, frankly, horrific footage and actually cobbled together the DVD menu.
1: Yeah, just humorlessly sat and was like, yep, just doing my job, put together a wedding menu for this. Because this wedding does not end well.
0: It does not. It ends worse than almost any wedding that I can think of. (laughs)
1: I thought you were going to be like, almost any wedding that I've been to. <laughs>
0: I've been to a few that have gone down a kind of dark road towards the end. And you know you always get, at any family gathering, you get some kind of familial fucking confrontation towards the end. Once people are a few glasses of champagne deep, you start to, uh, tensions start to bubble up.
1: Absolutely, yeah. Or like, someone's drunk uncle falls over a low wall. <laughs> You know, something like that. This opens as though you've hit play on a wedding DVD. You see a very wholesome childhood montage. Um, it's all very lovely. I want to talk about the fact that I think that this film does a very good job of the actual wedding video portion of this, which I think occupies about the first 20 minutes of it.
0: Yeah, I think it's great, actually. I mean, I, I, I don't really have a massive comparison because I don't have one of these. Oh, really? But it, it feels quite I, i've seen clips of you know like you go and visit a friend and then they fucking force this bullshit upon you yeah like it's like they're the kind of person that makes you look at the slides
1: mm-hmm. so is there no andy and jackie wedding video
0: there is also no andy and jackie wedding photos because our photographer cunted them really it exists only in the minds of those who are there now much Wow. I did
1: not know that. That is a good piece of Andy trivia. This is the good kind of stuff that comes out in Andy versus Mitch conversations, I feel.
0: Mm-hmm. Maybe if we make it to like 10 years or something, we can renew our vows or something bullshit like that.
1: But If you make uh, it to 10 years, what a beautiful sentiment. <laughs> um, after this kind of, like I say, this montage that we see of these childhood pictures like you mm. get in wedding videos, we very abruptly cut to outside the church. Uh, We meet Koldo here, uh, the groom, a very excited groom, outside with his friends, and we land on the very familiar found footage conceit of the rec films.
0: This will feel very comfortable to people who are coming to this expecting a continuation of the Angela story, I suppose, or a relation to the Angela story from rec one and two you'll feel quite at home at this point i think
1: yeah so just i think that it's probably as good a point as any to talk about the events of rec one and two very quickly for anyone that hasn't seen them sure to be fair if you're listening to a podcast about rec three and you haven't seen rec one and two or rec three then fair play to you
0: i would also say it's not essential to have seen rec one and two to enjoy rec three or to even watch rec three and get it because as you said they're kind of concurrent timelines.
1: I think that it's rewarding for people that have seen them, but it's not alienating to people that haven't. Sure, yeah, yeah. One okay. of the myriad things that this film executes to perfection. <laughs> but I think that Wreck 1 and 2, it's worth flagging up, basically, that they follow the fortunes of this reality TV show that follows emergency services who end up in this block of flats in Spain yeah, where there has been what is effectively an almost like a rabies outbreak amongst humans. We learn more about the demonology of it as it goes on, but those are the kind of traits to deal with. It's an intensely scary double bill, I
0: think. right too, is uh, the police officers investigating the very same incident.
1: And I mean, both of these films occur within a very small window of time. Absolutely. In a very enclosed location, and that's a very cool thing. And it's all, like I say, it's all found footage, as you know. And this film starts that way, in that we start with the wedding video, and then we widen out to some wedding videography, but also an amateur videographer in Adrian.
0: Adrian, yeah, he's Caldo's cousin?
1: I believe so, yes. Um, he is uh, filming some footage just for fun, for posterity, uh, getting some comments from some relatives and things like that. I think all of this stuff is really lovely. I think that you genuinely get the impression that everyone that is at this wedding is having a nice time.
0: It's similar to me in the way that, you, you know, there's like a, a scene in Cloverfield quite early on when the guy who does the majority of the filming in Cloverfield goes around the party and gets people to say a lot of nice things about the guy who's leaving party it is. Yes, aha. Uh-huh it's kind of similar to that in so much as it's just a series of people saying nice things and having a good time.
1: Yeah, I think it all feels really authentic and nice. But Adrian runs into the actual wedding videographer, Atun?
0: Yeah, Atun. who is one of my favorite characters in the whole film and he's here setting up his steady cam and uh, kind of lightly ripping Adrian for his kind of crappy little camera.
1: Yeah, I think that uh the relationship between these two as it goes on is actually really quite sweet mm. because uh, Adrian is always bothering Atin when he's trying to work.
0: You know, you've done gigs in the past much, right? I've done gigs in the past. There's always that person that comes up again, about half-jaked, that wants to talk to you about your setup and your equipment and, like, just pointing at stuff and say, oh, ah, that's nice, and you're like, aye, cheers, mate. And you just kind of humour them for as long as seems appropriate. That's what this feels like.
1: Absolutely, yeah, and Adam takes this with more than the requisite level of good humour, in my opinion. No lie. Mm-hmm,
0: mm-hmm. Also, if
1: anybody ever wants to have tech chat with me, they're on to fucking plums, because I have no idea what I'm talking about.
0: Well, I don't I mean, me neither. Like, the amount of times people talk film stuff with me, and I'm like, don't ask me. <laughs> I just know what I want it to look like.
1: <laughs> but um from the groom to the bride here we join more amateur footage this time shot by tita the bride's sister i believe
0: yes, yes
1: uh yes. and we meet clara played here by leticia dolera she is the bride she is not as excited as cold is uh, for reasons that will become apparent or at least you kind of feel like straight away that she has something that she needs to get out there
0: the reason that you know that much is because she clearly says it yeah
1: i think that she basically says i have something to tell you then it cuts off very abruptly <laughs> so yeah like it doesn't take a great understanding of subtext to figure that out <laughs>
0: Uh, I felt like she had something to say when she said she had something to say. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Deep. Exactly, exactly. We basically see just enough of her for her to be introduced and to know that there is something going on. And I would say that yeah. if you can't immediately guess what's going on, you've seen less films than me.
0: Well, I don't I, I I've recall at first thinking that she had cold feet. Rather than uh, the revelation that comes later on, my first instinct was cold feet.
1: Oh, okay, that makes sense, I guess, too. But, um, back outside the wedding, and a relative has a mysterious dog bite. Mmm, foreshadowing, mate. File under F for foreshadowing, for sure. I've
0: got to say, though, I really like Uncle Pepe.
1: Yes, good old Uncle Pepe, the vet bitten by the dog, who, <laughs> uh, is the. Architect of everyone's demise here.
0: I love that he's so pissed that it's impossible to tell where Uncle Pepe ends and Demon begins.
1: That's amazing, that's so true. Everyone <laughs> just assumes he's the drunk uncle, isn't he?
0: Yeah, there's a bit later on when he's actually spewed blood and everyone's just like, oh, oh, oh that's so Uncle Pepe.
1: That's so Pepe, yeah.
0: <laughs> Who else but Pepe?
1: I want to talk about the fact that we see them get married. We see Clara and Koldo get married. We do. This yeah. month, which is all very wholesome. Uh, everyone has a lovely time. I want to say that the most terrifying moment in this entire film for me is when, immediately after they're pronounced man and wife, a bearded and ponytailed man brandishing an acoustic guitar comes in and starts playing and Kodo serenades his bride.
0: Oh god. You've met uh, my pal Mick. Wee Mick. Wee Mick did that very thing at just about everyone's wedding. the know. That was his job. He was the wee guitar man. Oh, really? Okay.
1: I have played a guitar at people's weddings before, but never soundtracking someone serenading their new wife.
0: It is a bit cringe for me.
1: I found this to be very cringe, actually. Um, it's a very sweet moment in that it seems like she loves it, but I didn't want to look at it.
0: This is the kind of moment where if I was there, I would either have to leave, or you would later have to extricate my head and neck from my shirt collar. Right, sure, okay. I can't handle cringiness like that. It drives me bananas i can't sit through it
1: no i can i can sympathize but everything goes off without a hitch at this point man and wife head off and we are awaiting the reception now i think that you and me we're both in our 30s we've been to a few weddings in our time
0: i once had four in a fortnight.
1: good grief mm. wow i yeah. think i i think i once had 10 in a year and i felt like that was a lot but jesus wow those are numbers four in a fortnight good grief but yeah we're off to the reception and again we get Adrian doing this kind of amateur footage talking to loads of relatives and stuff like that Mm -hmm. I find all of this stuff incredibly watchable considering that in real life that is the bit of the wedding that I hate the most
0: the the, the bit of a wedding I hate the most is there's there's that weird moment before the reception kicks off after the ceremony the nether zone
1: the, the, the nether zone yeah there was one time I was in the nether zone at a wedding and the nether zone lasted for four hours and all there was to drink was prosecco that's that's fine there were no chairs
0: oh okay
1: and i tell you honestly as nice as that sounds after an hour and a half of prosecco you don't want any more
0: that's the kind of thing that after an hour and a half of drinking prosecco you could feel your teeth softening and rotting
1: yeah that's a good point point. and also uh somebody a family member who i won't mention i won't name reappeared at about five o'clock and i was like where have you been and he was like i was in the pub across the road watching soccer saturday and i was like you fucking traitor
0: Oh, hero
1: we could all have been doing that
0: yeah the, the Nether zone the worst part of any wedding because it's it's that moment where people are being self-indulgent with photographs <laughs> yep <laughs> that's fair you're like hurry the fuck up how many photos are you getting taken where are you getting them taken get a move on
1: for anyone who's listening who's wedding i've been to i obviously don't mean yours
0: yeah sure same here <laughs> regular listener james patrick duffy uh, at his wedding i fell asleep in a toilet
1: But yeah, I actually find this part pretty wholesome, like I say, considering it is the part of the average wedding that makes me want to die. Also, at this point, we're not introduced to him, but we do briefly get a flash of the best character, not only in this film, but in the franchise at large.
0: It could be one of two characters, right? I'm going to mention the first one that I absolutely love, and that's Koldo's adorable, tiny granddad.
1: Oh, he's amazing. That's not who I meant, but he is brilliant.
0: Then I know who you mean...
1: (laughs) yeah and i think that we should save it until he turns it up properly but you just get a flash when you have no idea of the joy that is to come mm. so in the aftermath of the actual wedding and the reception is kicking off clara tries and fails again to get her secret out to coldo at this point i feel like the film doesn't do a great job at this point because because coldo and clara i think are portrayed as this very loving couple
0: sure yeah yeah you see that in the photographs at the start where it's two beautiful people in love eating cornettos yeah they're very much in love there's no doubt
1: and when she's like i have a very important thing to tell you and he just like bolts off the minute the music starts i'm like no i'm not sure that i buy that all the way
0: it is off the chain though when they enter that room like that the kind of main party room it is kicking off man
1: also clara bucking tradition giving a speech
0: you would love to see it there yeah, have been a few weddings where the, the bride's giving a speech more of that please less ancillary groomsmen yeah you know what if you want if you want to give a speech give a fucking speech I have to say, don't be greedy with your speeches, because I've been to weddings where there's been multiple best men doing multiple bits of shtick. Just keep it simple. One best man,
1: please. Have you ever given a best man speech before? Have you been a best man before?
0: I have given a best man speech, yes. Yes, I have. (laughs) Complete with running around and handing out props.
1: I would expect no less. You are, if nothing else, an evocative storyteller.
0: Yeah, a consummate showman.
1: Absolutely, yeah, yeah, yeah. If you don't mind me asking, how did it go over?
0: I think it was quite well received. It's hard to say. I was given very strict guidelines ahead of being a best man. Very much, please don't bring up this event. Please don't bring up this event. Anything else is pretty much fair game. But please, don't even obliquely reference this.
1: I think that that's fair. That seems reasonable to my mind. But uh, yeah, Clara gives a speech and everyone, according to my subtitles, chanted, that's lovely over and over again.
0: That's what mine said too. By the way, interesting time capsule, my Blu-ray, has trailers for Looper. (laughs) Wow. The WWE Studios film The Day with ashley bell and one of the ash moles and dominic monaghan nice okay cool yeah, yeah a really interesting little uh cross section of things on there
1: i do quite enjoy those things
0: also the pact nicholas oh the not the so pact. much yeah.
1: not so much but yeah then they cut the cake with a big sword
0: sure sure i mean that happens i've been to weddings where cakes have been cut with giant swords before
1: but at this point, we cut back to Adrian trying to get his on-the-ground gritty wedding content after sure. all the advice that Atune has given him. And at this point, he interviews the most compelling character, not just in this film, but in the Wreck series at large, chain-smoking children's entertainer Sponge John.
0: <laughs> Far and away the best character. And it's funny that you said in the whole Wreck franchise as if there's anyone that comes close to Sponge John.
1: No, Sponge John is like far and away the master. I love everything about this guy. Children's Entertainer, unlicensed knockoff of SpongeBob, obviously. Mm-hmm, yeah. I love how humorlessly he dismisses everyone who is like, um, oh do you mean Spongebob? And he's like, No, that has nothing to do with that. The character's name is Sponge John.
0: Yeah. <laughs> yeah, he's he's the best. He's the best character he's, on the film.
1: He's amazing. So he's been doing this for uh, for ten years, been the Children's Entertaining at Weddings in his giant foam, disc shaped sponge suit.
0: Yeah, that's got a weird little waistcoat stapled onto the front of
1: it. Absolutely hilarious. I love him. He's my favourite character by
0: such a distance. I remember pissing myself laughing at Sponge John at Fright Fest.
1: Concurrently with this happening, good old Uncle Pepe is starting to exhibit some fairly dangerous symptoms. He's vomiting everywhere, looking pretty unwell, while everyone inside dances to a Spanish-language version of Eloise by Barry Ryan.
0: (laughs) He's, he also looks vaguely animalistic at this point. He's like kind of pacing on the spot.
1: You're right. It is a little bit concerning that nobody clocks this as being like unusual behaviour.
0: <laughs> no, no. I think they've seen some stuff from him in the past. He seems like a man who on the egg gets really pissed and soils himself. Like Remember when David Hasselhoff did that?
1: Yes, aha, yeah, yeah. Mm, yeah, a bit like that. What is potentially less common is uh, him falling from a first floor balcony.
0: No, no, fuck, yeah. Th- th- this is really the moment that things, I think it's safe to say, match go tits up.
1: Yes, I think that this marks a very obvious gear shift, and I actually think that as an unexpected triggering incident to mark that shift towards kind of chaos, I think that this is great. Like when you see him kind of teetering on the balcony up above, and everyone kind of like worrying and screaming at him to be careful, and then he falls and he falls through the table, and then everyone's looking after him, and he bites that woman, mm-hmm. and and the bite is like really nice and sinewy.
0: Yep, yeah, yeah, absolutely. There's uh, strings and tendons and yeah.
1: Yeah, and then he vomits blood everywhere. At this point, you're very much strapped in. Here we go.
0: Yeah, he vomits blood on that um, larger woman right in her face, and uh, that also tickles me pink.
1: I think it's worth mentioning that this is the first film in the series that tries a lot of things, but it's also the first one that plays it for laughs, even remotely. Mm -hmm. And I think that it works.
0: Yeah, well, I, I think I was going to touch on this more at the end, but now's probably as good a time as any to mention it. We're also coming up to the moment where, um, I, I guess there's really the biggest shift certainly technically from a filmmaking perspective. I would say it's a mixture of that discarding the known filmmaking technique that we've come to expect from the franchise and replacing yeah. it with a, a much more traditional filmmaking style mm-hmm. and the addition of such kind of massive levels of comedy.
1: So, I want to talk about this because what you get after after Pepe falls on the balcony and he bites someone and basically he bites that woman mm. and you get this solid found footage chaos for a bit
0: sure yeah mm-hmm.
1: where people are getting very rapidly kind of infected or turning everyone's desperately trying to take cover and ultimately Adrian Coldo. Tita, Etun, and another mystery person who we later come to understand is a copyright inspector called Royalties.
0: Yeah, yeah, royalties is there to make sure that people are getting paid for the music that's getting played at the wedding.
1: I love that. I love that. So his real name is Moncho, but he's very quickly um, nicknamed Royalties. They take cover in a kitchen, and I love this because everyone who has ever made fun of any found footage film ever makes fun of the fact that there is always somebody who, for a stupid, spurious reason, insists on keeping on filming when the obvious thing to do is to turn the camera off and get yourself to safety.
0: Or just use it as a bludgeoning weapon.
1: Yes, exactly, right? And Atun is like, oh, people have a right to know I need to keep filming. And I think that this is a very funny commentary on why a lot of found footage films that don't work, don't work. Mm -hmm. But also, this is a franchise whose lifeblood is the found footage conceit so i love the fact that and i'll tell you i'll tell you this now andy right i think that half the reason and i'm not saying that it's not legitimate to not like this film i don't understand it but i get it right if if, if it's not for you it's not for you right but i think a lot of people who have a problem with this it's not born out with the film being bad it's the fact that it's not what they expect a rec film to be
0: i would be inclined to agree and now's probably as good a time as any is additionally to say that i think this film's great
1: i think this is brilliant but i love the fact that it doesn't just turn things on its head it kind of openly it sets out to subvert your expectations in a way that i think is simultaneously really fun but also really bold because at this point coldo is like fuck you we don't need to keep filming what you're saying is nonsense he takes the camera and smashes it Yes. and at this point 20 minutes into an 80 minute film we get a title card for wreck genesis Like I say, a franchise which has built up notoriety at this point for being a found footage film, it then gear shifts to being shot cinematically and opens on a smashed camera. Yeah, I Mm -hmm. love every inch of the audacity of that decision. I love it.
0: Yeah, I wonder, obviously, Joma was away doing other things, and this was very much Paco's project, I think, just with Joma as producer. Yeah, that's right. I wonder if he would have been allowed the same rope and scope to do something like that if it was still the pairing of them as directors because obviously Sleep Tight's a much darker film and Wreck-Apocalypse, which is not good.
1: I I dislike Wreck-Apocalypse, Wreck 4, almost as much as I love this one.
0: Yeah, well, I mean, that was just, that was Joma on a zone, I believe, as well. I think that there seems to be a very clear difference in how the these guys approach things as directors.
1: It is interesting that they made something that was so gritty and so cohesive as a pair for Rec 1 and 2, and then when they were left to their own devices, they split so dramatically in terms of style and story and things. Mm-hmm, yeah, We joined the action, and like I say, the film gears shifts to being shot cinematically pretty much with a couple of exceptions. Is pretty much shot that way for the outset now, and So is the rest of the franchise, actually. Yeah. But they're barricaded in the kitchen. The demons are descending. En masse. Uh, They look to make an escape through an air duct here.
0: Uh, This bit's so sad. Yeah, they they all disappear into the vents pretty much without looking back. And the only one who really stops to take a minute is Adrian because Atun, um, being on the larger side, he pretty quickly realises that he's not going to be able to fit through that vent no matter what happens.
1: I think that this film is full of sympathetic ancillary characters and i think none more so than Atune who has come across so far as being this like very lovable very tolerant guy who's a career filmmaker of sorts who has been giving advice to adrian and has been very sweet to him in the opening bit and adrian's like oh you'll be okay won't you and he just gives him this thumbs up and you know that he won't be and yeah. i think that the ultimate payoff for this is actually super tragic which we'll get to
0: I would have really loved actually right at the end for a turn to come busting out the doors and be okay. Like you know you know that way sometimes when someone they're facing down the odds, there's hundreds of wolves at the door and then at the end they just emerge covered in blood and they've just fought their way out. I would have loved
1: that. I would have loved that. I think that like I like the fact that it kinda of signs itself over to his art being so dark. Hmm. But it is sad, and I think that, um, and it's obviously uh, his parting gift to them is the night vision camera that ultimately lets them see their way through the ducts and get out.
0: Yeah, what I would say, though, and this is a criticism that I've got of the film, is I I do really like it, and I have a great, great time with it. Um, But I think that sometimes some of the melodramatic beats are just a little too much boulder on twee
1: yeah i think that that's legitimate i think that it dials the kind of the sentimentality up to 11 at times where it doesn't necessarily call for it yeah i accept that i would say okay but yeah they make it out with the ducks and they escape into the courtyard they try and get help but at this point the zombies have already descended i feel like we need to talk before he disappears forever we need to talk about royalties here
0: royalties um i guess finding the the lion within and finding his roar
1: yeah, because he, he's a very kind of, a, he's a kind of awkward, introverted, jittery kind of ca- yeah. character. Yeah, timid is a good word. Yeah, uh, he's timid guy.
0: Yeah, timid guy. <laughs>
1: um, ultimately, at this point, the they're trying to get help and they find a police car. The policeman's already dead. He's been descended on by a demon. At this point, Adrian and Royalties work together to subdue him in that Adrian restrains him and then Royalties bludgeons the demon to death with, conservatively 20 whacks with that tire iron
0: yeah yeah I, I love that you just see you you don't see any of the impact you don't see any of the the aftermath you you just see his hand coming up and down and adrian just standing kind of impassively watching the camera is pretty much focused on yeah adrian.
1: It's a, yeah it's very much on his reaction rather than the actual violence which i think is really fun mm-hmm, yeah inevitably in those situations when like somebody bludgeoning someone to death off camera hits more than five or six times it just starts to become hilarious to me it's like quite a nice moment, but I think that it's also really funny when you see him kind of getting up and coming back into shot and realizing the severity of what he just did. Yeah. But I, I wrote down ten out of ten double tap.
0: <laughs> sure.
1: But unfortunately, this is his last act of heroism. Yeah, he's he's gone almost
0: almost immediately, I think, after this.
1: I yeah, he's 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 devoured by that police officer who's on the turn that's right but Pruer went out Royalty is one of the many compelling characters who gets very little time in this film and does a massive amount with it
0: the next character that you could mention that does something very similar is the grandmother that the, ch- the kind of chapel that they take refuge in my Prueh- god
1: yes she's amazing so yeah. basically so they escape and then they are kind of yeah they're pulled into this I, you said chapel I, I couldn't for some reason pin down what that word was right so I have they take cover with some relatives in a candle lit ante room <laughs> but yes thank you the word i was looking for was obviously chapel so our survivors take cover there coldo is i think still understandably very invested in finding clara i find almost everything you see in their relationship to be very very sweet
0: okay me too like i say the, the, the my chief problem with some of the melodrama revolves around clara and coldo
1: I, I mean i think yeah there's an element of truth to that but i think that i'm, I'm very invested in them as a pair yeah. At this point, Clara uses the Tanoi system from the P- uh, the CCTV control room, which is where she is taking cover in, with the priest, with the priest, to address the room and address the kind of entire
0: compound, <laughs> if you yeah, like. Uh, whatever this um, whatever this wedding venue is, because it also looks like a castle.
1: Yeah, it, it seems like it's a castle slash church with accompanying bar
0: <laughs> and chateau esque elements.
1: Yep, uh, but also sub chapel slash ante room
0: extensive tunnel system beneath it.
1: Yes, as we come to learn. But we do find out at this point that Clara is still alive, or at least Koldo finds this out, and inevitably she announces that she is also pregnant.
0: Yeah, yeah. That's the big secret. She's not got cold feet. And now Koldo emboldened uh, isn't just trying to reach his wife. He's also trying to reach his unborn child. Yeah. uh, I've never been a massive fan of what he does here at all. I don't know. It just seems too silly to me um and a film that pushes quite heavily into being silly at times but when he, he happens upon the statue of saint george slain the dragon and he kind of gets the idea to don the suit of armor and literally become a knight in shining armor to save his wife
1: uh i think this is really funny <laughs> uh, i disagree it's one of my favorite bits i think in terms of like a stupid visual joke it's I very think it's,
0: stupid. He looks preposterous when he's creeping around with that suit of armour on and that mace.
1: Yeah, because he basically just takes an antiquated uh, suit of armour off a wall and puts it on and uses it to kind of skulk around.
0: Yeah, it's like locked but, away though behind a cage, which always makes me think it's like late on in a video game when you get the best armour in the game.
1: Yeah, potentially. Yeah, 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 absolutely. One thing I do want to touch on is that you talked about the fact that you think that when this film hits emotional beats, it sometimes hits them a little bit too hard. Mm-hmm. i want to mention the fact that i think that the film does kind of acknowledge that a little bit right at this point because clara when she says you know it's like oh i've been trying to tell you all day but i'm pregnant and then coldo bursts out crying and the granny that you mentioned a minute ago just says that's too much
0: <laughs> so i think that
1: i think that it probably does lean into the melodrama a little bit hard but i think that also there's a kind of a nudge and a wink and a self awareness to that as well
0: mm. do, what, do you know what i really like about the film actually from the point where it Kinda becomes like you like, said a more traditional style of filmmaking, very cinematic, dispensing with the found footage stuff. I like how Caldo and Clara's stories kind of diverge and then converge again. Like there, there's times where they're kind of breathing the same air, but they are moving around each other. Like the when. Clara's rappelling down the building with the priest and Caldo's just kind of hiding against the wall just seconds away from seeing her. That
1: works very well in that, like, I think that it plays out in a very clever way, but also, like, I'm invested in the pair of them to such an extent that I find it incredibly frustrating that they come so close to seeing each other so many times. (laughs) Okay. Because at this point, I'm, I'm, I'm all in for these two. I'm rooting for them.
0: Right. Sure.
1: But yeah I mean like you touched on it there it's like right now they're both very much venturing to find each other but they're also kind of quite cluelessly trying to do that because neither of them know where the other is. Sure yeah. So they're kind of just blundering around trying to find each other in a way that feels quite arbitrary but is also still really entertaining. As we said earlier Clara is taking cover in the CCTV control room with the priest that eventually becomes set upon by demons. Clara starts what will be a hot streak of her being very resourceful by using a fire hose to rappel down to the floor below. Mm. and yeah this is the first time where they just very narrowly miss being uh, reunited also she thinks that she stumbled on a couple of undead but what she has found instead are natalie
0: yes her, her friend. friend
1: and uh rafa the uh, kind of jack the lad guy from the kind of wedding video portion where you saw him kind of like getting ready to try his luck with natalie
0: yeah this guy's an absolute incorrigible fanny hound
1: like I, I really... If this, if this, if this was a mini-sode that would be the title. Sure,
0: absolutely. Um, but uh, yeah, from the first minute, I, you see this guy. I'm like, oh, this fucking. I forgot about this fucking guy. He's just one of those guys. Trusty wedding
1: shaggers is what I wrote down. <laughs> for two. yeah sure so hasty were they to um escape the reception and get it on that they are completely oblivious to the uh widening zombie slash demon pandemic that is encircling around them
0: mm, blinded by the radar.
1: absolutely yeah and uh the relative uncle slash grandparent of coldo that was kind of roaming around with him with the armor is very abruptly dispatched here but also we understand from the priest who is father exposition delivery vessel at this point <laughs> yeah, uh, explains that the undead horde can apparently be controlled by the instruction of a benign higher power.
0: This stuff seems, like, across the, the it could be any other infection film, to be perfectly honest with you, right? But this one yeah. character is all that really massively ties it to the REC franchise. Yes, that's reasonable, I would say, yeah. Like, you um, know that you know that thing we've talked about in the past, where you watch a film and it was very clearly not made to be part of a particular franchise, and then that name, that title, was just tagged on, and maybe a couple of extra scenes were shot.
1: Yeah, like American Psycho 2. Exactly
0: that, but it has a swipe of that. But we we know that was not the case.
1: No, I, I would say that's true. I think that like um, that this was obviously conceived from the beginning to be a sequel to these, but it does feel a little bit like it's shackling it to it because it's a necessary thing that it has to do. Mm-hmm. Um, I want to mention the fact that when Koldo eventually gets to the CCTV control room at this point, obviously long since vacated by Clara, the events of Wreck 2 are unfolding in the background on the news.
0: Yeah, I want to just quickly mention the demons when the priest starts talking and kind of freezes them at the spot on the steps.
1: Yeah, because this is pretty important for later. But this um, is the first
0: time you see Tristana... And reflection and i think it's a really really strong visual i think it's brilliant
1: i think that it's also like a great way of kind of like vindicating to you that the priest is right and kind of cementing the mythology of it and things like that it's, it does a lot with one shot that i think is really cool
0: yeah and it's not the last time that it will happen either because it, it happens again very very soon yeah um uh before that
1: Koldo gets himself out of the control room with some excellent head macing uh some nice practical stuff here as well
0: yeah, because he sees a reflection in the television that he's watching, and again it's that visual of Tristana.
1: Yep. Uh, and he, yeah, he he spins around immediately, uses his trusty medieval mace right in the temple.
0: Yep. Crush. Head crush. Uh, we rejoin Clara
1: and friends at this point, who run into Sponge John again.
0: <laughs> uh, she's doing that thing that annoys me though. She's moving through the darkness, and they're all seen by the light of a Zippo lighter. That would very quickly become far too hot to hold, and. It, Every time I see anyone in a film doing that, I'm like, I don't believe it.
1: I take you out of it. A little bit. Somewhat worryingly, we find out at this point that Sponge John, the children's entertainer, is naked under a sponge costume.
0: Yeah, that's why he can't take it off.
1: (laughs) Uh, Which is a choice. I love what happens next because I think that it's like a sweet moment between Clara and Natalie before Natalie ultimately dies, Mm. but also is like a really funny nod to anyone who has been married presumably or in my position uh, has been friends with people who have planned a wedding know about the complexities of wedding politics yes and guest politics and who you invite and who you don't so i think it's really funny at this point when this is obviously like this really grim horrendous situation and natalie's like i almost didn't come and clara's like wait a minute what and we basically discover that natalie almost didn't come because they've been out of touch for so long and clara only invited her out of
0: politeness sure yes
1: and this feels very believable in the sense that i've seen people have these conversations about wedding guests before
0: Yeah, I've I've had I've had those conversations.
1: (laughs) Name and shame, Andy. Who were the passengers at your (laughs) wedding?
0: Who were the who were the people that were making up numbers? Filling tables.
1: Who got the Tinks invitation? But yeah, we lose Natalie at this point. They escape out into the rain. Another sad moment is Clara realises that her mum is now a zombie. Just
0: before that though, I really like the visual that leads up to Natalie's death when Clara's kind of flicking with the light switches and the the fuses, and that window next to Natalie is kind of flashing and you you see the glimpses of that really toothy demon. I, I think all this stuff is great. Mm-hmm. So many times when it
1: has to set up to something like that, it gets it 100% right. But ultimately, yeah, they escape out into the courtyard and into the rain. We find out at this point that Clara's mom is a demon. Uh, we don't really have time to mourn this too much because fantastically, she is immediately shot to shit by Sponge John, who's now wielding a shotgun.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. And Rafa drags the crying Clara away. And the demons, that they kind of fall upon Sponge John. Now, this is another example of one of those times when... I really hoped a character would make a, a reemergence. I was like, he's going to. When I first saw it, I was convinced that he would because I was like, they're not going to be able to get through his costume.
1: My dream was that uh, Sponge John would reappear in the third act. Unfortunately, not to be, as it turns out, his giant foam suit is not conducive to uh, urgently making your escape.
0: No, and it's also no match for the urgent claws of demons controlled by one hive mind.
1: Uh huh. Um, he he never stood a chance, but he was the hero that we needed for a little while. Yeah. I and mean, if there was anything left in the glass, I would pour one out for Sponge John right now.
0: Gone, but most certainly not forgotten. The the, the impact he made is indelible. Absolutely. Now this film, and I keep forgetting
1: that. I don't this think we film... need to continue. <laughs> Sponge John is done here, in... and with that, we're out on rec three.
0: <laughs> I found my interest waning upon the death of Sponge John. <laughs>
1: Clara and Rafa escape into, as you mentioned earlier, a network of underground tunnels underneath the compound. Why? Who cares? It really doesn't matter. They are getting ready to go. However, Clara hears a song that Coldo loves uh, blaring over the, uh, over the tannoy. Th- is it not,
0: inverted commas, their song?
1: I believe it is their song. If I'm not mistaken, it is uh, Gavalan Opaloma by uh, Pablo Abrera.
0: Ah, oh, my favourite. Yeah, uh, that wedding staple. But yeah, you're, um, you're absolutely right. Rafa wants to leave, uh, but Clara won't without Caldo. And Rafa's like, look, he's fucked, he's gone, he's dead. He would have given us a sign. And then, as if by magic, here appears a sign. Yeah, the music swells. We know that and endures.
1: Yeah, and uh, this is enough to spur Clara on. And uh, she very much gear shifts to the, the final girl. Sure,
0: yes, yes. <laughs> here, in a way I think it's <laughs> yeah. really fun. Yeah, um, to, to the point where she... Uh, it, it lists Rafa's help to, like, help Chainsaw dress off. And, uh, and all we... And forever the fanny hound, he's, like, bwah, 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 when he sees a leg yeah. in her garter, it's, like, a conical, like, wow
1: that's so true. I hadn't really considered how much of a kind of like a how much of a like lads 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 guy Rafa is, but he really is, isn't he? Yeah.
0: So she's getting
1: ready to bring the noise with a chainsaw that she has just discovered.
0: Yep. Sure.
1: Fortuitous. Meanwhile, Koldo is busy fighting his way out of a kitchen and whisking up some faces in the process.
0: Yeah. We and this is when we we find out that uh, Atun's dead as well. He's uh, yeah. He's, and, he's uh, cut his own wrists rather than I guess being munched to bits or become a
1: demon well he died a hero rather than live as food in a world of demons
0: yeah (laughs) yeah um
1: yeah yeah, a killed himself before the uh before the demons could descend i found this to be incredibly sad
0: yeah but you don't get long to grieve because he kind of topples from the the table that he's perched himself off and uh uncle pepe is there looking for uh looking for trouble good
1: old zombified uncle pepe Causing trouble, getting in all kinds of shenanigans. But yeah, he ends up getting his face
0: whisked. I think it's a hand blender.
1: See, I was going to ask you this. I knew it wasn't a whisk. I <laughs> it wrote whisk, I knew how was terrible wrong.
0: Terrible, I could cure. <laughs>
1: <laughs> But yeah, some pretty creative stuff going on here. I would say potentially not on a par with Head Blender from Euronext, but still pretty good. Definitely not. Cold and Clara have big fights on their hands to get to where they need to be. Clara chainsaws a woman's head lengthways, by the way. hmm uh, during her battle, while Timo Casal's version of Eloise by Barry Ryan plays. Fucking hell. I did a lot of shazamming during this for some reason.
0: Sure.
1: Rafa has also been uh, infected in the struggle that he and Clara face. Clara grits her teeth and very uh, unceremoniously and unapologetically just decapitates him with a chainsaw.
0: Yeah, that's right. Uh, he, he doesn't want to die a demon. Ultimately, Clara really takes the decision out of his hands. Uh, elsewhere, Caldo takes the knife, sword, cake, slice, letter opener. Yep. <laughs> And decides that he himself is also going to embark on a hack and slash mission.
1: Yep, Chekhov's cake sword.
0: <laughs> don't cut a cake with a cake sword in Act 1 that you don't cut your wife's arm off with in Act 3. Exactly,
1: yeah, as the old saying goes. Um, They're reunited in a way that does feel kind of fortuitous, I think, but um, I am also willing to let it slide because of how many times they've come so close to seeing each other.
0: This the, Their reunion goes on for far too long, like... The cameras kind of just spinning around them, and they're like stroking each other's face and wailing and crying, and those hands bu- like busting through every door and every window surrounding them. And I'm like, enough now. Like I'm the granny in this scene. I'm like, that's too much.
1: Yeah, there's a there's a lot of oh oh my love this, oh my love that. And as much as I love them as a pair, and I do, I was like, um, this is all very sweet and everything, but there is a very real, more pressing concern going on at the moment mm mm-hmm. uh one of the saddest lines in the film at this point because they do kind of set themselves to the reality of the fact that the demons are descending on them and uh Coldwell just looks at clara and says you would have been a wonderful mother
0: yeah quite sad
1: i think that that's really sad however at this point uh the first of a couple of false bottoms where you think the day might be saved lands when uh, the priest has commandeered the Tannoy, reads a prayer over the loudspeaker and uh, temporarily freezes all of the demons long enough for uh, Clara and Calder to ostensibly make
0: their escape. I really love the visual of them walking out of this kind of complex through all these statuesque twitch. Well, not statuesque because they're all kind of lightly twitching but just kind of making their way through all these like oh.
1: stationary convulsing zombie bodies
0: yeah 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 I, I think it's really cool and it's right at kind of sun up and out there's that lovely kind of golden glow coming in the windows it's really it's really it looks amazing it's, it's excellent
1: it is however devastating when you think that they're just about to escape and uh clara is bitten by uh Koldo's granda who it was established earlier is deaf and doesn't know how to use his hearing aids that um, that's
0: that's fucking hilarious i i screamed with laughter it's um,
1: simultaneously such a hilarious callback and just the saddest thing i think um and i think that i i think it works equally well at both of those things but it's such a tragic moment but it's so funny when coldo is just like screaming fuck you and fuck your hearing aids
0: no quote caldo Fuck my grandad and his stupid hearing aid.
1: Thank you, yes, yeah. Um. It's it's horrible, it's so sad, but it is also very funny. Um. So, Clara is now rapidly being infected. So, Chekhov's cake sword comes out. Uh, Koldo hacks off her arm in his best attempt to kind of head the infection off at the pass.
0: Sure, sure. Gotta say, not a great start to a marriage. This, none of this.
1: No, valiant effort, but not the best. Um, And it gets worse really uh it seems like everything's okay they get to the perimeter and they realize that word has already spread to the wider world about what's going on here uh this premises this compound this castle has already been quarantined sure she is showing her first signs of infection because she started vomiting blood and things like that he carries her out of there despite being point, told not to despite being told not to i mean like that's love carries right <laughs> there they implore him to hand her over I love what happens next in a tragic kind of way. They share a final kiss. She, obviously, turning mid-kiss, rips the tongue out of his head. (laughs) And then turns to attack and they both get shot to hell.
0: Yeah, they get obliterated in a hail of bullets.
1: And they collapse and, in death, reach for each other's hand and the film ends.
0: Reunited in death. What's the end credits song, Mitch? Oh, I don't know. (laughs)
1: Ah, now I feel terrible. I I genuinely checked every other one. But I think that uh, this is a a really, really tragic end to this film. You've seen them go through so much separately and together but also you've had at least two times where you genuinely believed that they were going to get away. And I think that the only reason that this ending works effectively, because I think that what this film does very well is that it plays a lot of stuff very, very outwardly for laughs. Mm -hmm. And the laughs land, but when things that are happening in this that are supposed to kind of devastate you, they do. And whether that is the death of Atun, whether it's the death of Sponge John. Don't. It's been eight years. Still not over it. No. Or what ultimately happens to the pair of them. I think that all of those things land in a really unexpected way for a film that spends so much time being so silly.
0: The Death of Sponge John is my The Boy in the Striped Pajamas. <laughs> sure, let's compare it to
1: that one. Um, yeah, uh, with that we're out on rec 3, though. Um, a film that I think boldly expands the universe that the franchise exists in. Mm-hmm knowingly and i think knowingly antagonistically subverts the things that had made that franchise a success in the first place mm-hmm. abruptly u-turns to a completely different style but also tone yeah nails mm-hmm. both of those things fills the film with relatable ancillary characters who you really feel for when they die and ultimately presents you with this very tragic ending and i think that genuinely, the worst that it does wrong in the interim is get a little bit too hammy with some of the relationship stuff. And I think that that's genuinely about the only thing that this film misfires on.
0: Do you want to know my thoughts? Yes, please. Largely agreed. Good. Cool. Okay. Tell yeah. me more. Love it. Love it. Um, Liked it the first time I saw it. I've, I've, again, I think I've only watched it once since I got the, the Blu-ray. Presumably round about 2012, if that's the kind of content that's on the disc. Yeah, I, I think it's a real ballsy and borderline punk decision to for Paco Plaza and the, the the guys to do what they did with this franchise, given how well thought of Wreck and Wreck 2 are. Yeah. It's an incredibly audacious thing to do, I think. Mm-hmm. It's a, a risky proposition. Some people would argue that it works, and it's like yourself and me who, who like the film. But there are people who, who I think the, the tonal shift doesn't sit right with, and like we said, the, the, the change in the kind of technical approach to it but again i feel like that's more that come i feel like that's more born from love of the franchise than it is necessarily thinking that this is a bad film
1: yeah i think that one of the reasons why i think that the tone shift and the style shift work is because it's so willingly and knowingly and kind of boldly divorces itself from the main narrative of the other films i think that like had this picked up immediately after the events of rec 2 and it was a slapstick cinematically shot horror comedy then that would have been offensive to my sensibilities too i think that the fact that it took the story and broadened it gave it some room to try some things i still think that it made some incredibly outlandish choices that almost without exception work
0: i just like that no one involved was too precious do you know what i mean to to have said no, we can't do this. We can't really do it like this. The people who were involved were willing to go because I, I mean, that's probably that was probably quite a meaty cash cow for Filmix, the Rec franchise. Absolutely, yeah, definitely, hundred percent. And for them to go, do you know what? Fuck it, let's do this. Let's let's try something silly and something fun. Um, yep. where the franchise falls down isn't with Rec Three Genesis. It's with Wreck Four Apocalypse,
1: which I think is really pretty poor. Yeah, agreed. I feel like Wreck Apocalypse was. A kind of phoned in version of this i feel like wreck apocalypse felt like if they did more of the same it would kind of work whereas wreck genesis i feel like every decision that was made here was designed to be subversive or designed to be a little bit clever and designed to put people on the back foot for better or worse yeah agreed
0: quick question did you ever see quarantine
1: the shot for shot english language wreck remake i actually haven't yeah
0: with jennifer carpenter and jay hernandez no i haven't Mm -hmm. i haven't well, I mean, it's like you said, it's much the same. Um, but it, it, they they did a sequel to that called Terminal. Um, yeah, it was
1: set in an airport,
0: right? Yeah, but again, it, it's not good by any means. But at least they had, like, they tried to do something different with that as well, rather than just do again a remake or act two. They totally changed it. Uh, it. Doesn't work. It's not great. But I, it's a similar thing. But I, li- I like when people are willing to make bold choices. You, I mean, you start from the same kind of seed i suppose and then choose how you're going to evolve it from there um i think that's quite interesting although i think something in the back of my head telling me that perhaps terminal was made as one of those films that uh had the quarantine name tagged on it that makes sense
1: (laughs) (laughs) so we have some consensus then i would say that this is potentially my most successful outing so far
0: i'd say it's your most successful outing so far Mm.
1: cool good i'm glad i'm glad and i would be very curious to know What everybody else thinks of this, because like I say, in advance of recording this, um, a few people came out of the woodwork to talk very strongly in favour of it,
0: Mm -hmm. and
1: very strongly against it.
0: Yeah, and we welcome all of that, so please keep it coming, because it'd be interesting to see those who liked it, why they like it, do you come down on the same kind of side of the line as me and Mitch in that regard? And if you didn't like it, what is it about it that you don't like? Is it simply the stuff we've talked about, the tonal and technical stuff, or is there something that maybe we've missed?
1: Yeah, are plot beats that bother you, things like that? All these things would be interesting. And of course, if you want to get in touch with us and talk to us about those things, then you can do through all the usual channels. Facebook and Instagram are Strong Language Violent Scenes. You can tweet us as well at Strong Violent PC. And you can email Strong Scenes at gmail.com. And of course, brand spanking news still you can interact with other listeners on our facebook group the chod locker
0: yes and as you may have heard us mention in the past because we've banged the drama fair amount patreon we have a yes that's a thing that's a thing
1: now it's out there
0: yeah people give us money on a regular basis to do this and that's absolutely amazing Um, You could join that number by going and having a look at patreon.com forward slash strong language violent scenes.
1: However, regardless of whether or not you're on the Patreon train, we will be back on Monday with another mini-sode for your ears. Needless to say, I will be continuing my 90s side quest. I had a little tip on Facebook today about something on Amazon Prime from 1992 that I am going to go and check out right now. Okay. So I'm going to be reporting back about that. Further to that, we will of course be talking about what we've been watching uh, letting you know all about I've that will be things oh cool okay good 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 pleased to hear it we will also i'm hoping that i will too we'll be playing mitch's pitches we'll be taking a look at your feedback and we will of course be keeping you in the loop but everything that you need to know about episode 114 we are back monday join us then if you can in the meantime don't forget it's better to die a hero than live as food in a world of chuds goodbye bye